I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. I'm a medical writer and patient educator who lives with a J-pouch due to ulcerative colitis. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. Welcome to episode 122. In the United States, the inflammatory bowel diseases are largely seen as being incompatible with military service. I've talked with people who had their military career cut short after being diagnosed with an IBD while serving, and an Air Force pilot who was able to continue in his career after ostomy surgery for ulcerative colitis. You can listen to episodes 120, 104, 96, and 86 if you want to hear those stories. So there's a no IBD policy in the military, but there also seems to be cases where there are extenuating circumstances. Like so many other things when we're talking about IBD, it's individualized. I connected with Dr. Daniel Rausa, who is a Navy veteran, a physician, and a current gastroenterology fellow in New York. He also lives with Crohn's disease. He describes how he was diagnosed when he was in the Navy, what he considered before disclosing his diagnosis to either peers or patients, and why the transition of care when leaving the military can be a tricky time for people living with IBD. Dr. Rasa, thank you so much for coming on about IBD. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. So first off, would you take a minute to introduce yourself to our listeners? I am Daniel Rausa. I uh, grew up and born and raised in New York, went to undergraduate at the University of Virginia, and then I went to medical school back home at the New York College of Osteopathic Medicine. I went to medical school on a scholarship with the United States Navy, the Health Professional Scholarship Program. So afterwards, I commissioned as an officer, as a medical officer there, and did my residency at the uh, Naval Medical Center in Portsmouth, Virginia. And then after that, I served as a board-certified internist and hospitalist in North Chicago. And now I'm a gastroenterology fellow in New York. That's fantastic. So you mentioned your Navy career, and that's kind of how we connected on Twitter. I asked a rather random question, and you came back that your participation in the military was something that you wanted to talk about further. And it's something that I've been very interested in, interested in over the years. So I saw in your bio that you live with an IBD. So what, what motivated you to join the Navy? I always wanted to be in the military well, well before I wanted to be a doctor. I think at some point before I went to college, I tried to figure out how to make those, those worlds merge. And I found that there was this scholarship program, and that's ultimately what I chose to pursue. Um, but well before I wanted to be a doctor, I wanted to be a pilot. So this is not, not quite the same, but um, I found that I had a passion for medicine, and, and ultimately I always wanted to serve. So uh, I was very, very happy to be a Navy physician. Mm-hmm. Because you do live with an IBD, as you told me on Twitter, How did that all start? How did your symptoms start? Where were you in your career in the Navy? And when did you finally get a diagnosis? My first symptoms actually started when I was an intern. Uh, Mm. It was was Christmas Eve, my intern year, and I was on my gastroenterology rotation. And I had had terrible abdominal cramping. And that had come after I tried to to eat healthier as an intern and, and try to exercise. <laughs> and so, so I, I assumed it was something I did to myself, um, yeah. but it was just progressing throughout the day. And, and it became so bad that, you know, I ended up having to go to the emergency room on Christmas Eve and, and I found that I had an obstruction. At that time, they attributed the obstruction to some scarring that I had from an appendectomy when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I was satisfied with that. I didn't want anything to 
potentially derail my my Navy career. And I, yeah. I didn't give it much thought. I just as long as I didn't I didn't need surgery, that was that was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was frustrating because it was obviously something I couldn't do much about. But it got better on its own. Um, I was admitted overnight. I was able to get home on Christmas, and and that was that. And then life went on as usual um, until three months after I graduated residency. I was I was seeing my clinic as as uh, as an internist, and it happened again. And it was probably the most severe thing that I I I had had, and I knew the same sort of thing was happening. So I got I went to the emergency room, and there is where things kind of changed. Uh, mm-hmm. Is where they identified that there was there was a lot of changes in. On my CAT scan, that made it look like I had Crohn's disease, and they they treated me as though that was an IBD flare until proven otherwise. And ultimately, I you know I needed the the, the decompression with the NG tube for a bowel obstruction, and uh, I stayed in the hospital for a few days and followed up with a gastroenterologist afterwards. And one thing led to another, and I was ultimately diagnosed with with Crohn's disease that primarily affected my terminal ileum. And where were you in terms of your Navy career at this point? Were you still in the no. Navy? I was, yeah. So the way it kind of works okay. in the Navy is when you finish residency, um, mm-hmm. you you get stationed as, as a hospitalist or an internist when you're okay. when you graduate in internal medicine residency. So that's called your staff tour. Um, so I was uh, an independent board certified physician at that point. I was seeing my patients. I was after I was like fully trained. So I completed my morning there seeing my patients and uh, went to the hospital. But oh, I, I was, yeah, I was, um, I was an active duty internist at that point. So. Mm-hmm. What were your experiences with NG tubes before you had to have one yourself? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it never looked like a comfortable situation. Um, but when you get one, I'll, you know, I'll never forget this story. But when I, when I got my NG tube, when I was in Chicago with my, my significant bowel obstruction, mm-hmm. it was not going well when they were trying to place it. Uh, and my wife was outside the room and, and she, you know, she was overhearing how, how difficult it was. And at some point the, the, uh, the staff came out and they told her that I wasn't tolerating it. Oh boy. And, and I think that didn't sit well with her uh, <laughs> because she's also a physician. Oh, and, no. <laughs> you know, and so it's not so much a matter of, of tolerating it. It's a matter of, of, it's just, it's difficult. It's difficult to, yeah. It's yeah. difficult to be well, it's not a choice, right? When you need it, you need it. You need it, you need it. And so uh, since I've gotten my own couple NG tubes, it's been a very different experience, especially as a gastroenterology fellow. I think I you know, have a lot more a lot more empathy and sympathy for, for the patients <laughs> that need one. So we do our best to, I do my best to make sure that it goes in as smoothly as we can get it in. Mm-hmm. Have you ever told anybody while you were placing it or while you were in the room while one was being placed that you have had one yourself? Yeah, afterwards it's come up because it, okay. there's always a lot of the similar similar things. You know, it's difficult to swallow, it's uncomfortable, and yeah, you know, and, and discomfort. So what I normally normally tell people is is hey, you know, I've 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 been here, I've had this, I know how uncomfortable it is. Here's some of the things that helped for me, and and let's see if they'll help for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really great. I mean, I'm sorry that you had to go through that experience, but it's really good for your patients. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I say it now more than ever. There's nothing that makes you a better doctor like being a patient. There's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so how did this all work, though, when you were diagnosed and you were still yeah. in the Navy? I've talked to a couple of other veterans that it was kind of almost like, you know, immediately that was the end of their military career. How did that work for you? I knew the writing on the wall. And, I, and perhaps that was one of the reasons why I never really thought about my initial obstruction as an intern. 
much more mm-hmm. because I think I was in some element of, of denial. And I remember even speaking to the gastroenterologist I worked with in the Navy and told him about what was going on. I told him that it was chalked up to a scarring from an appendectomy. And he kind of looked at me like that didn't make a whole lot of sense uh, for somebody my age. And he, he did suggest at that point looking a little further. But again, I didn't want to go look for things that were going to potentially derail my training. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I was com- I was satisfied with I was feeling well and let's just let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I was diagnosed with Crohn's, I remember my gastroenterologist told me, hey, you know, I'm pretty, pretty confident that this is going to be Crohn's disease. And I remember even then I was trying to sort of convince myself that it was it was probably something else. And, and a lot of that was because it was going to completely alter. When you get diagnosed with something like Crohn's disease, you, you in the military, you, you have to go, or at least in the Navy, you have to go on a medical board. And mm-hmm. um, majority of the time, because of the medicines and the disease itself, it does result in, in an inability to uh, continually serve mm-hmm. in the capacity in your job. Uh, but for me, because my job was very unique in the military, they were able, they found me fit for continued service after my medical board, and I was able to continue to see patients. But it did make me non-deployable, which is sort of a separate determination. Um, right, right. And that was that was what changed everything. I mean, I joined the military because I wanted a unique way of, of medical training. I wanted that unique experience afterwards. Um, I wanted to, to see the world. Um, I wanted to do different things that were not typical of what my civilian counterparts were doing. And so when I found out that I was really non-deployable, that sort of changed everything. I felt like I was, I felt like I was mostly wearing a uniform and, and coming to clinic and, and doing mm-hmm. the same things that I could have been doing otherwise. And, and that was, that was a blow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you cope with that? Was there something that helped you deal with that? It's, you know, kind of your whole life taking a different, taking a different turn in in a couple of different ways, not only a diagnosis, but then for your career as well. Yeah, I mean, I I think I sort of told myself it was, hey, what's more important is that you're healthy, mm-hmm. and that you're getting healthy. That deploying like this would be a disaster situation. You really yeah. couldn't be performing the job that I was being sent to do. And um, you know, I, I think to some degree that was, I was able to sort of rectify what was happening with that. And then, then there's a number of people along the way that I met that. You know, really great mentors and friends in the military that that sort of put it into perspective for me. And they said, you know, mm-hmm. look, I said, a lot of people deploy, um, but it's not necessarily the only way that you're you're performing your service. You know, that you're you're doing the job, mm-hmm. and that was helpful. Now you are a fellow, and you're pursuing gastroenterology. Did this diagnosis? cause you to pivot in that way? Or were you always going that way? Uh, you know, that comes up a lot. I think it's been, <laughs> uh, especially with my, my colleagues in my current program, but, um, yeah. you know, to be, be honest, I always had sort of an attraction to gastroenterology well before mm-hmm. I found out I had Crohn's and, uh, IBD is, is definitely a, a, a unique interest for me now. And I, you know, it's certainly, it speaks to me in a very different way, but it, you know, as, as it so happens, it's not the reason why I necessarily, chose to go into gastroenterology. The plan was sort of in motion before, uh, before I ultimately got my diagnosis. But, you know, I, I do believe that it gives me some strengths to, to approach patients who do live with IBD a little bit differently. talk to you for a minute about 
disclosing because obviously you disclose people around you know that you have IBD. Some might say that perhaps maybe it's something that one should keep quiet on the down low um, when pursuing a medical career. What went into your thought process with disclosing and openly discussing that you live with IBD as a physician? As a physician, going back into training after being out of training for a period of time, you, you, you come to learn the environment that you want to work in, especially going to a field like gastroenterology. You know, if, there was, if I was able to find a program that was able to sort of empathize or at least identify that this is somebody who is comfortable with, with speaking about what has happened to him, you know, it, it sort of has shaped him in a, in a, as a doctor and a person in many ways. And this is somebody that we want to work with uh, because of those lessons learned in mm-hmm. addition to many other experiences. But I always felt that if, if you are going to be excluded because of disclosing a p- particular situation, uh, that that's not necessarily the place I want to be. Mm. So, mm-hmm. but it, I ended up finding a fantastic program and, and, uh, everybody's been super supportive and it's exactly the, the place that was meant for me. Mm-hmm. Do they call you in when it's time to place NG tubes? <laughs> no, I think they, they, I think they know that I'm, I have a little bit of an aversion. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not your favorite thing. <laughs> So going through this process of being diagnosed while you were still in the Navy, do you have advice? This is this is a thing that happens to people, especially because IBD is a disease of young people. Do you have any advice for anyone else that's going through that process, not only with dealing with the diagnosis, but dealing with the way that it is going to change your relationship and it's going to change your uh, ability to, to serve, maybe in some in some way? Yeah, I, unfortunately, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for quite some time for patients who do have IBD uh, mm-hmm. trying to join the military. You know, and, and I think that there is a, a a particular way that the military views uh, what they do, mm-hmm. and if you are not able to sort of fulfill that that obligation without exception or or with any potential limiting factors, that that may pose a problem. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't try, and I think you should you should continue to try to get a waiver. And I think there are certain jobs, especially in the Navy, where that may be okay. Um, and it really just depends on very unique circumstances. So I can't I can't say that there's a blanket statement out there for for whether or not it's going to be um, an issue. And it, it certainly you may get a waiver for it. I hope that whoever does evaluate that package is looking at that in a very individual way. But I will say this: I think if there's that drive to serve, um, you got to you got to follow it. Um, and I think it, you owe it to yourself to, to with your diagnosis to still try to see if you can get that package. And if that, and if it doesn't work out, it's, it's not because you didn't try. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are in the military and you do have a diagnosis with IBD, one of the most important things that you can do is, is to make sure you get plugged in for care. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of, a lot of folks in the military a little reluctant to do so because of the same reasons that I ran into and I was lucky enough to stay in. But I think a lot of people like pilots or, or spec warfare, you know, it's a complete change in, in whether or not you're able to do your job. And I, I can understandably relate to um, their desire to sort of keep that from getting into their medical record. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's really the long it's the long term that you got to look at. I mean, I think if you don't have your health in the future, that's that's a real that's a real issue. So what I would encourage anybody in the military to do is is if 
if that does come up, make sure you get plugged in for care because you, you'll you'll be thankful for that down down the down the line. Right. Yeah. That you know, there's is one thing to voluntarily disclose. It's another thing to be diagnosed and then have it in your record. Yeah. And I think if you were diagnosed in a way that it was perhaps not in your record, then you have to be concerned about care because IBD being a progressive disease, you, you know, you need treatment to make sure that it doesn't that it doesn't get any worse. So there's a consideration there as well. Right. The worst thing that could happen is is something comes up and nobody knows that you have this issue and, and you're in the middle of the ocean and you have oh my. a real medical emergency on your head. Oh my, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, you, that's frightening. It's <laughs> not something anybody wants. That's just the way you got to look at it. You know, is that you want to be in the, in the best place possible. And I think anybody living with IBD knows that you really got to surround yourself by, by a, a good team of, of healthcare providers and and support network because when things when things do go wrong you want to make sure they're handled correctly. Dr. Rausa, there is transition of care that takes place when you're leaving service. How did that all work for you and what kind of advice do you have for other veterans who live with an IBD who are going through this process? So, whenever you know when your separation date is from the military, um, it's best to just start doing that transition as early as possible. And I think every, everybody's chain of command is, is going to emphasize that, uh, but especially for your healthcare. So if you have been diagnosed with IVD in the military, that's going to be something that comes up for a VA related claim. And it's something that, that you should pursue uh, because that does sort of establish you with VA care afterwards. And, and everybody's situation is very unique and very different, but that's definitely a safe, that's a safety net for a lot of folks. And, and, you know, and it should be. And so what happens is when you do separate and you, you receive your rating for IBD, what that does is it, it allows you access to the VA system and you enroll with the VA. And, and I would encourage everybody to do that as, as quickly and as early as possible, um, just because getting those medicines or establishing that care is going to take a little bit of time. So before you leave the military, make sure in your last weeks to months, just see your doctors. Make sure you have plenty of medicines to account for that time period afterwards, mm. after you leave the military and when you establish with the VA or, or your, your physicians as a civilian. Because whether that's through the VA or, or through the, the, the civilian network of, of care, it's going to take some time to get those medicines. And you may have to get prior authorizations, which, which many mm -hmm. people in um, the civilian healthcare system are, are very familiar about who live with IBD. And those prior authorizations do take time. And if your dose has been adjusted in any way, Mm -hmm. it, you know, they may get declined at some point and there may be additional information that needs to be submitted. So just the worst thing that can happen is you interrupt your medicines or you interrupt your therapy. So do everything that you can to make sure there's a nice seamless transition. And then when you do find care um, or are looking for care outside, I would start that process before you get out of the military. That way you, you have somebody that you've identified as somebody who you're going to feel comfortable with and who you want to continue your care with. Mm -hmm. So start early and then early. I'm assuming also you have to stay on top of it with the paperwork and responding to anything that that comes up so that you get things dealt with quickly and following up. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, I think the VA has a lot of great resources to help people navigate their system, mm -hmm. when they're, especially when they're a recently discharged um, veteran. So I think there's a lot of great resources that will help you navigate that system. And it can be it's very intimidating. It's a very big, big yeah. system. Um, it's very new for a lot of people, especially mm -hmm. people who spent many years in the military and don't know anything else. 
Yeah. So just make sure that you're utilizing those resources available to you because it, it can certainly help. Yeah. And unfortunately, IBD is all about the follow up. <laughs> yeah, that transition to care, unfortunately, is where a lot of things fall through, fall through the cracks. And, you know, yeah. if you do for if you're due for a colonoscopy, if you're, you're, you're needing medicine, if you're due for blood work, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that you don't want to fall behind on. I talked to somebody who this transition of care took like six months and I don't yeah. know if that's common or not, but. Depends. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on it a lot does, of things, yeah. I'm sure. I, I was able to use both, you know, I, I had insurance through my job and then I, I right. got rated with the VA and I, I did both of them in parallel. And it turns out, and I never would have expected this, that the VA was quicker. That's interesting. Yeah, but I mm. also came from a hospital in Chicago that was a VA DOD merged right. facility. Right. And so I was familiar with how the VA worked. But that, you know, it, it can be definitely overwhelming for people who have no idea how the healthcare system works, which is tough, too, because when you're when you're younger, let's say you're 18, 19 years old, I mean, that makes it even that much harder. And being faced with IBD and not knowing how to navigate any of this because being yep. previously healthy. I wrote my own rebuttal letter to my, 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 <laughs> my prior yeah. off that was denied. I wrote, you know, I sent mine in along with my gastroenterologist who sent theirs in. And, and that's very unique. You know, I mean, that sort of expedited things because we know how to, I know how to speak the language and, and, you know, I, I was thinking about it the whole time that I was going along with this. How do people do this? How does how do people who are just who are not in medicine and who are right. expected to have a completely different life, how yeah. are you supposed to navigate this? Like I said, it's a huge learning experience. And, and um, you know, it's made for, for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. As a gastroenterologist, those things are, I think, are helping me a lot more. Right. There's an urgency that comes with all of this. It's not like a there's not it's not something that you could handle from like nine to five Monday to Friday because people run out of medicines and mm -hmm. it's not really their fault. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, the other thing, too, is a lot of people have reasons for having a reluctance or a hesitancy to start medicines. Yeah. You know, and I think from the medical field, we look at things from a very sort of objective standpoint. Right. Like, yeah. well, the risk is still low of certain certain complications. But I was on the other end of that where I recognized that that's a very low risk, but that's still magnitudes higher than the still average person. <laughs> yeah, there's still, still a risk. And what is your risk tolerance, essentially, right. in terms of complications versus your risk tolerance of right. a medication? All that swirls around in the ether. Yeah. It's hard to prove a negative. That's always right. my thing. It's really hard to prove a negative and say right. that if you don't take this medication, this is something that might happen to you. Well, maybe it won't. So maybe, maybe I won't, won't take the medication. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's just a man. It's honestly, it's a matter of have, like being able to even have that conversation yeah. with people, right? Like everybody's got their reasons. Everybody's got their way to view it. And, and just, I think, appreciating that because I've been there, right? Yeah. And I've, I've asked some questions that, I, that undoubtedly were looked at like they were unreasonable questions for my own care. <laughs> along your path, you were already a physician when you were diagnosed. There are other physicians that live with IBD as well. Do you have any advice for any maybe of the younger people who are thinking about a career in medicine and who live with an IBD? How can they pursue that? What should they think about? You know, I, I, I think 
the, the words empathy and sympathy come up quite a bit in medicine. And, and, um, when you do have a chronic illness and your, your sort of life has been changed by that, I think that makes you a stronger clinician in many ways. And, mm-hmm. and I do think that if you are sort of grappling with, with that question about whether or not to go into medicine because of, of something you're struggling with, what I would say is that this is likely going to make you stronger in many ways. It's, it's likely going to allow you to relate to your patients in very unique ways that, that many other people can't. Um, and that's what's most important is that your ability to relate. You know, you can learn the things that come with medicine, but it's hard to teach that ability to relate to your patients. And and so that's that's that X factor, I think, that really that really makes a difference. So I would say allow that to be a driving factor to pursue medicine, but don't, don't let it limit you because it's, it's so easy to allow things like that to, to limit you throughout your life and, you know, prevent you, but instead just let it motivate you. Thank you. I agree with that completely. You mentioned your wife, what kind of medicine does she practice? She's a pediatric cardiac intensivist. Oh my goodness. That's serious. She's pretty smart. Yeah. She's a, she's yeah. a smart woman. Very lucky. <laughs> Do you have kids? We do. We have we have two. We have a four week old. So we have you a, have a four week old. We have a four week oh old. Yeah, we have, we have a twenty month old and a four week old. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Bam, bam, right together. So, <laughs> <laughs> so how are you making that all work? This career and little kids yeah, and babies, you know, really. You just, life finds a way. You, you make it work. <laughs> Well, I appreciate your time in talking to me. Um, Your story is really impactful in a number of ways, and I look forward to seeing what you do next. Great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, super listener. Thanks to Dr. Daniel Rausa for sharing his knowledge and experience. I'll tell you the story of how this episode came about. Twitter is the place not only where I share news and events and information, but also sometimes where I park my stray thoughts. My stray thought one day was to ask people what was the part of their IBD journey which they want to discuss, but nobody ever asks them about. Dr. Rouser replied that it was his Navy career. Of course, that made my ears perk up, and I was relentless in tracking him down and convincing him to talk to me. You can follow Dr. Rouser on Twitter as Daniel Rouser D.O., which is D-A-N-I-E-L-R-A-U-S-A-D-O. Links to a written transcript, everyone's social media handles, and more information on the topics we discussed is in the show notes and on my episode 122 page on aboutibd.com. You can follow me, Amber Tresca, across all social media as About IBD. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. About IBD is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. Mix and sound design is by Mac Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio.